This talk was recorded by Canvas Outreach Minneapolis, the College Ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church, as a part of the 2021 Summer Training Project. For more information on Summer Training Project or Campus Outreach Minneapolis, visit cominneapolis.org. Over the span of multiple movies, and I just want to take some time to share a few of my favorites with you. And I do not claim to be a good storyteller. I do not claim to be a good summarizer of these stories, but I will do my best. The first one is uh, Luke Skywalker and the emerging rebel leaders, a part of the Rebel Alliance. They arrive to Cloud City in search of allies. Amongst them are Luke, or Han Solo, Chewbacca, as well as Princess Leia. They're, looking, they're going to one of Han's old friends, or you could say acquaintances even, Lando Calrissian, in hopes to, to gain people if they're going to have a hope of defeating the Empire. Shortly after they land, they discover that it was a trap, and the Sith Lord by the name of Darth Vader was waiting for them the entire time. <laughs> Thank you. Um... Jeez, Gabe. <laughs> uh, Luke, completely realizing that he's unmatched, but yet without any other options, has to face Vader. Long story short is he loses. His right hand is chopped off in the process, and he learns that Vader is actually his father. He narrowly escapes with his life, only to find out that one of his best comrades, Han Solo, has just been frozen in a metal called carbonite and is now on his way to be sold off to a slave trader in the middle of the desert. The end. <laughs> Harry Potter returns to yet another school year at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. So far, he has survived a werewolf, a giant snake, and a possessed dark wizard. So hopefully things are going to turn out for the better for him this year. Only to find out that now someone within Hogwarts itself is trying to take his life. It can't be the Dark Lord. He's been absent for 13 years. And one of the challenges that he faces throughout the years, because he's, been, he's in a tournament that they enter him in, uh, one of his peers is also with him, and they get transported unknowingly to a graveyard many miles away. As they uh, get a bearing for their surroundings, two ominous figures emerge from the shadows. One moment his friend is standing at his side, the next he is lying dead on the cold, hard ground. Harry, too, narrowly escapes with his life, only to find the students and professors at Hogwarts in an uproar, because he who shall not be named has returned. The end. <laughs> this is where the final stand takes place. The Titan Thanos, along with his alien army, are quickly approaching. Earth's mightiest leaders, led by none other than Captain America and the Black Panther, uh, take their stand and lead them into battle at the nation's most high-tech nation there is, uh, the nation of Wakanda. Thanos arrives, his army as innumerable as the stars and as formidable as hungry wolves. They push hard against the warriors of Earth. Only with the help of Thor and his reinforcements he brings do they push back even harder. Victory is so close, it is within their grasp. But then, 
But then Thanos achieves his objective. He achieves his end goal. He achieves the Mind Stone, the last of the six Infinity Stones that he needs. And with a snap of his fingers, half of life across every galaxy of the universe is not, has now vanished. The Avengers had lost the end. A pastor by the name of Jim Cofield says that any story interrupted at the wrong time becomes a tragedy. Any story interrupted at the wrong time becomes a tragedy. And I know that these are comical um, because you guys know the ending, or at least for the most part, you know that good ends. <laughs> but if that were the ending of each of those stories, it would genuinely be a tragedy the hero losing, the main characters losing in the end, in sorrow and in grief. And I love how both uh, Harrison in his prayer and Abby mentioned that God is continually writing your story. It is not, you should not interrupt it at the wrong time because that would be a tragedy. And I want to be honest with you guys uh, tonight. Um, I come to you tonight with, uh, with a heavy heart. I come to you tonight with a heavy heart because I feel the weight and I feel the gravity of what I'm going to be talking about tonight. And if, if you don't know how to read or if you haven't guessed it by now, it is suffering. And I know that this slide says the gain of suffering, but my guess and from my experience, when you're in the midst of it, when you're in that low valley, in that dark night of the soul, the last thing it feels like is gain. I feel a burden um, I, that I need to make my words uh, as eloquent as I can. To, if only I could convince you somehow to have, to have the same perspective as Paul, that to live is Christ and to die is gain, or that I consider everything, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. In a few verses later, in chapter 3, verse 10, he even says, I want to know Christ, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. Verse 11, so that I might gain a better resurrection. If I could only can drill that into your mind with my words, I would, but I know that my words up here mean absolutely nothing if the Holy Spirit does not work through them. Because I know that this topic can be incredibly personal, incredibly hard for people. And I think I also feel a burden because I know people, uh, even people that went to the holy and sanctified school of Northwestern that I thought were following Christ. I thought were walking with God only to walk away. And one of the, the main part, if not one of the main parts, is because they could not deal with the concept of suffering. They could not come to terms with the reality of a good God and the reality of a horrific suffering at the same time. So that saddens my heart. And I know some people in here I've known for over three years, some people I just met six or seven weeks ago, and uh, no matter where you are on that spectrum, I've had conversations with many of you I've had conversations of many, with many of you about, about your past as well as about your present and the pain that's there. Whether that be death of a loved one, an absent mother or father, parents who decided to stay only to be abusive physically, emotionally, sexually, 
cancer or any other unhealed, ravaging disease, anxiety, depression, other mental health illnesses, loneliness, rejection, having the feeling that nobody in this world cares and nobody ever will. Praying to God year after year for loved ones who don't know Jesus to finally, finally come into his glorious light only to be met with disappointment upon disappointment. The suffering even in this room, and I don't know all of it, but what I do know is vast. And I don't even want to think about the suffering that goes on outside these walls because it would seem too unbearable to handle because there is so much suffering in this world. So dear Heavenly Father, I come to you tonight with a hope, with a plea, and with an expectation that it will be you speaking tonight through me. God, I I mean it when I say that. Everything I say up here doesn't matter unless it's the Holy Spirit, unless it's you speaking. So God, I ask that that's exactly what you do. Speak and heal hearts or at least begin the process of healing and allow people to come into a better, better view of who you are. Jesus, in your name, amen. Uh, so this topic, it can, quickly become, it can quickly become only theological in nature with any, without any sense of like empathy or compassion. Um, and there, there are Bible verses that are true and are good. Like I believe that every word in this book is good and true. But when it comes to, like, the expense of compassion and empathy, like, it might not always be helpful. Like, if someone is going through something and, and, and you're there trying to help bear, trying to help carry their burdens, it's not always the best thing to just slap them on the shoulder and be like, hey, dude, God's in control, all right? Like, that's great. And, like, yes, that is true. But I believe Scripture has a fine balance of tension between uh, theological truth as well as when you look in the Gospels, you see Jesus moved in his, the depths of his heart, the depths of his soul with compassion and with empathy. And this is a huge topic also. So like, I'm not saying that, like, what I want to present to you tonight is, is more broad theological truths. Uh, but when it comes to like, specifics, it can oftentimes be taken more on a case-by-case basis. I'm not claiming to have all the answers uh, because we're only together tonight for a short time but I will have a zoomed-out, broad, biblical view of this topic. And if you have questions, I encourage you to continue to talk about them, to continue to ask those questions, continue to wrestle with them. Because the last thing I want to see in this room is for people to not be willing to wrestle, and they just throw in the towel with God. And they say, there's too much hurt in this world for there to ever be a good God. I'm done. That is the last thing that I want to see. So with that being said, I want to give you a roadmap of where we are going tonight. Uh, The first is suffering is a consequence of the fall. After that, we will go into suffering is known throughout the Bible. Uh, Suffering has a good purpose because we have a good God. And then I'll share with you the main point at the end. Uh, Last week, I shared at the beginning. This week, I'm trying a little something different, a little something new. Let's try it at the end. See if that if that will help. But suffering is a consequence of the fall, and there's sin and brokenness in this world. This comes, this, this stems from Genesis chapter 3. And I feel, I feel kind of like a broken record up here talking about, about that chapter, because I feel like, uh, I, I think I mentioned it last week, maybe, um, 
There have been other staff that have mentioned Genesis 1 through 3, but I think it keeps coming up because there's so much theology. There's so many, like, timeless biblical truths in those few chapters. But Genesis 3, so we see uh, Genesis 1 and 2, a good world, it is perfect, God is perfect, and his world is perfect. Um, Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden, but then Genesis 3 comes, I'm sure you guys are familiar, but like the serpent comes, uh, and in, in an intruder, as Mike was talking about um, many, many weeks ago when he was talking about sin. But he deceived Adam and Eve, and that is when sin came into the world. And with that, the curse came into the world. That is pain, and that is death. They are intruders. They entered the world because of the fall, because sin entered the world. And because of that, you and I, Everyone in this world is now born with a completely sinful nature. In Romans 3, verses 10 through 12, uh, this is Paul writing. He says, and he's quoting uh, from another book, it says, As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, there is no one who seeks God. All have turned away, they have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. See, we all have a sinful nature now. We are all cursed with our sin, and our sin, and as well as the sin in the world, is why suffering is in this world too. It's all because of sin. And it says that no one does good. Like, we cannot do good apart from the Holy Spirit, apart from God working in our lives, which is why we see so much brokenness apart from Jesus, is because people are chasing after something that's not him. And that leaves with pain, that leaves with toil. Kind of similar to what, um, I think it was Pastor Brian was speaking about at church this last Sunday at Surfside Prez, if you were there. Uh, Sin, and sin not only, it not only stays that way, but it also breeds suffering. Last week I mentioned James um, and how uh, that, like, sin leads to death. Like, sin breeds suffering. In John chapter 10, verse 10, it says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Sin does not just stay stagnant, but when you feed it, when you allow it to grow, it continues to multiply, and so do sorrows. And all of this suffering in life can be traced back uh, because of either our specific sin or the sin in the world, which I'll, I'll get that more on that in a moment. But Romans 8, verses 19 through 22 also speaks on this. Romans eight nineteen through 22. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So not we, we as people are not the only ones suffering because sin entered the world, but all of creation, all, like every, all, the animal life, the animal kingdom, Plant life, all of it, is suffering and is in bondage to decay. That's where uh, killing came in then as well. And I want to 
I want to distinguish between suffering from our own sin versus suffering from general sin in the world or because of the fall. There is a distinction here. It's all traced back to sin, but not necessarily our, our own sin. And this is going to be a silly example, but bear with me. So like, if I were to call Reed Jillick right now, and I, he answers, he's like, what's up, dude? Aren't you giving your talk right now? What are you doing? And on the phone call, I just completely curse him out. I curse out his wife, Nikki. I curse out his kids. And then he fires me, and I'm suffering on the unemployment line. That is directly due to my own sin. However, if, like, the economy takes a horrible turn, having nothing to do with me, and, like, you and your job get let go, and you're suffering from that, that is not directly because of your sin. I want you to hear that distinction. Like, all suffering does not come from your own sin. Some of it, it might. But some of it might just be come from the brokenness and the fallenness of this earth that we now live. And then I think a great example of this uh, comes from John 9. Uh, in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, uh, this is Jesus speaking. Him and his disciples are walking along the road. And it says, As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus very clearly, very concisely says, it is not because of this man's own specific sin that he was born blind, that he is suffering. But even, even with that, suffering still found this man. But God still had a purpose. God still, like what Abby was saying in her testimony, worked for good. And he still had a plan in mind. So suffering is a consequence of the fall. Way back when in Genesis 3, that's when suffering came into the world. Suffering is also known throughout the Bible. You know, there are many places that I could have drawn from um, to talk about um, many big ones that I left out, but I narrowed it down to three that I thought were good. The first one, if you want to do that, George, is, is Joseph. So you may, or you may not be familiar with the story of Joseph. Uh, he, he's a man born with uh, ten older brothers and one younger one. And it's very clear to all of them, all twelve of them, that Joseph is his father Jacob's favorite. And because of that, his brothers grow to despise him. They grow envious and they grow to completely disdain who Joseph is. They hatch this plot, and they sell Joseph into slavery in Egypt, where he works under a man named Potiphar and for multiple years. Throughout that time, he's a good worker. I, th I, th I could be wrong, but I think the Bible even says like he was blameless in all he did. And then he was falsely accused by his master's wife, and then sent to an Egyptian prison. Things just go from bad to worse. And I know like prison to me doesn't sound good, but an Egyptian prison in that day and age was flat out horrible. Way less sanitary, way less safe. Joseph has hopes that by interpreting the dreams of another prisoner, he may be noticed by the Pharaoh and eventually set free. But his story was forgotten and he remains in prison for a time. But yet, his story was not over. 
Or take Paul, for example. Uh, I, think I, tried, I thought about like, how can I summarize uh, the life of Paul, specifically Paul's pain and toil up well for you guys. And I figured Paul can do that a lot better by himself. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verses 24 through 29, we hear a little testimony about Paul's life given by Paul. Uh, in verse 24, it says, Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and yet I do not inwardly burn? Once Paul converted to know Jesus, his life was turned upside down and he suffered quite a bit. That is more suffering in those few sentences that my guess would be a lot of us in here, at least from a f purely physical standpoint, will experience throughout our lives. But and as much as Joseph is a good example of suffering, as much as Paul is a good example of suffering, neither of them compare to Christ. Neither of them compare to Jesus. I believe Jesus is the one who faced ultimate suffering in this life. He was born out of, out of wedlock. You know, people thought it was scandalous that Mary had a child before she was with Joseph, different Joseph. Um, he was born in a manger, humble beginnings. King Herod, after finding out he was born, sent a decree for his soldiers to go around Bethlehem and kill every single child the age of two and under in hopes of stopping Jesus Stealing, because he was afraid that Jesus would steal his kingship. Here is a man completely innocent of all wrong his entire life, loved by some, completely hated and rejected by others. A man sent to die the most excruciating death history has ever given us. If you guys want to learn all the scientific pain that would have happened to Christ on that cross, I, I encourage you to look it up. But not only that, but the emotional and spiritual pain was just as present, if not even more so, because his father, because Jesus took our sin, his father had to turn his back on him. And I believe though that is one of the main reasons Jesus hung on that cross and said, my God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? Jesus endured ultimate suffering. And yet, this is exactly how God drew it up. You can click the next one, George. This is, how God, how God ex this is exactly how God drew it up. Exactly how God intended it to be. It was his plan for Jesus to go to the cross. Which brings us to our... Uh, the last point is that suffering has a good purpose because we have a good God. 
Suffering has a good purpose because we have a good God. How many people in here have heard of my boy, Francis Chan? Raise your hands. Yeah, my people. There you are. Um, how many in here have read the book Crazy Love before? It's one of his best. I highly recommend it. Um, there's a story that Francis Chan um, tells in that book, and I want to I share that with you guys tonight. This is the, the, a letter of uh, a girl named Brooke. She writes a letter to herself, Brooke does. And this is kind of a long quote, so just bear with me for a bit. Uh, so this is Brooke speaking. Uh, I'll live my life to the fullest. I'll be happy. I'll brighten up. I will be more joyful than I have ever been before. I will be kind to others. I will loosen up. I will tell others about Christ. I will go on, a, on adventures and change the world. I will be bold and not change who I really am. I will have no troubles, but instead help others with their troubles. You see, I'll be one of those people who live to be history makers at a young age. Oh, I have moments, good and bad, but I will wipe away the bad and only remember the good. In fact, that's all I remember, just good moments, nothing in between, just living my life to the fullest. I'll be one of those people who go somewhere with a mission, an awesome plan, a world-changing plan, and nothing will hold me back. I'll set an example for others. I will pray for direction. I have my life before me. I will give others the joy I have, and God will give me more joy. I will do everything God tells me to do. I will follow the footsteps of God. I will do my best. Brooke was 12 years old when she wrote this. At the age of 14, she suddenly died in a car accident. Two years later, her life was instantaneously taken from her. And if I were to interrupt this story now, it would only be a tragedy. If I were to stop the story here, it would just be a sad tale. And even, even if we were gone, it is still sad. But it would only be a tragedy if I were to stop here. But her story, even in her death, was not over. Her story continued beyond the grave for Brooke. You see, because of the life she lived, because of the legacy, legacy she had, because of the love of Jesus in her heart, close to 1,500 people attended her memorial service. 1,500 people were able to hear the gospel proclaimed with around 200 of her peers, fellow 8th graders, ninth graders, 10th graders perhaps, 200 of her peers coming to know Jesus for the first time, and they will join her for eternity. I don't want to minimize the sad. It's still there, and it still hurts. There's still pain. There is still grief. But if we were to stop at that, it would be a tragedy because God still had something in mind. You see, in that one day, the memorial of Brooke's life here on earth Brooke's testimony led more people to the Lord than most ever will. Brooke lived her life faithful to Christ. A very short life here on earth, but her life was not wasted. It was not purposeless. It was not meaningless. Uh, and with that, um, I don't want to just tell you about all these uh, stories that 
um, you know, about Avengers, Harry Potter, Star Wars, as much as I love them, all the stories that are impersonal to me, but I've experienced this in my own life. Uh, about two years ago, and, and some of you know bits and pieces of this um, to a certain extent. Uh, not all, I doubt few of you know the entirety of it. But about two years ago, I was here at Project, you know, living my best life. I came, recently came on staff, and I started the process of support raising. Um, and if you've never asked for money before, it is extremely uncomfortable. At least for me, it was. And there were days where I just felt incredibly rejected, incredibly discouraged, and I wanted to go home. There were days where it was unbearable. Some days were good, but by no means all. And yet that was only the beginning of what was going to be a long and dark road for me. You see, I got back home from Project. Uh, another month goes by, and I reach my support goal a time that should have been filled with rejoicing. But at the same time, um, the girl that I was dating, uh, the girl who actually, you know, I thought maybe she might be the one, maybe I might marry her, uh, we broke up suddenly, and that absolutely wrecked me. A time that should have been filled with rejoicing, I will finally be on Bethel's campus, was all of a sudden turned to immense grief and sorrow. And it goes on. At that time also, I just rea I realized how alone I felt. You know, I was no longer in my safe home of Northwestern, my home for four years, where I had my friends, where I had staff and professors who were always right there by my side. No, I graduated. Some friends moved away, whether that be 30 minutes away or completely overseas to the Czech Republic, the Philippines, or elsewhere. Others got married, and I just didn't see them anymore. Um, and I felt incredibly alone and isolated. I didn't know the other staff that well. And I felt like no one in the world cared. No one in the world knew me. And so for that first week, that first week of me finally getting on staff, there was a week that, that I, didn't, I didn't spend any time with God because of how angry I was at him. Because how upset I was with him. How could he? That entire month of October 2019 was the most hellish month that I've ever experienced. That month... I have very, <laughs> I have very few memories that were good, that were positive. It was as though all of the joy in my heart was ripped outside of me with a sense of dread that it would never come back. And so that month, was a hard, a dark, and a long month for me. And even beyond that, started to get better, but that was a long road for me. Not to mention, you know, 
immense rejection for my life for the last four months, support raising, now this big thing with a girl, not seeing my friends, and then I get on Bethel's campus, I barely know anyone, I know like six people, I'm trying to reach out to freshmen, ask them to read the Bible, only to be met with more rejection. I would drive to campus, cringing with anxiety, with worry, because I feared what man thought of me. It would be a huge relief by the end of the day when I could drive back home to Lexington, uh, Lexington Apartments, that is, in Roseville, and I could just let it all go and numb the pain as much as I could. That year, outside of college, you know, besides the, the early years of my life, that year, outside of college, was the year where I probably cried myself to sleep more than any other year of my life combined. And yet all of that, all of that was not without purpose. You see, almost a year later, the Lord showed me really where my heart was. And that was deep down. Deep down, he showed me my, my true view of him. And that was, I didn't believe that God was good. And Lord knows that I didn't believe that he was for me. That he wanted my best. You know, I'm someone um, I love I love worship music, and oftentimes when I give talks, I, I incorporate a uh, reference to that like somehow. And around that time was the time where the popular song, The Blessing uh, by Carrie Job came out. And I love that song, but uh, I, I don't know what it's like, the bridge or the tag or whatever. It just repeats the word, he is for you, he is for you, he is for you, he is for you. I couldn't sing that song honestly. And when I, when I tried to, there was something deep in the pit of my stomach, deep in my heart, that constantly doubted that. And God used that long time of suffering to prune me of sin because I was chasing what man thought of me as opposed to caring what God thought about me. And he used it to, to give me a correct view of him. And I can honestly tell you guys, right now where I'm at, like, because the Lord started to change my heart, he used all that. Like, I can honestly sing songs like The Blessing, like The Goodness of God uh, by Bethel with complete conviction and complete um, honesty that I believe these words. God is so good. God is for me. And that is the truth. He was with me. N now that I can look back, I realized that I was never alone after all. And although I didn't want to spend time with him, although I was walking away from the Lord, not in the sense of like walking away from my faith, but in the sense of not wanting anything to do with him at the time, he was running towards me. He was still pursuing me. The Lord worked even all of that suffering in my life for immense good. And there may be even more to that story, that uh, more of a purpose to that story that I don't know yet. I don't know how God is, is still working through that testimony. And the truth is, we don't always know what the good is that will come out of it. And we may, we may not know this side of heaven. We may be stuck asking those questions, wondering why God is this in my life. And sometimes you may get your answer, and sometimes you'll have to wait till you're with eternity with Jesus, which will be so great. I'm talking about heaven next week. Stay tuned. Um, but that's where, 
where, where truths in the Bible, um, such as Genesis 50.20 and Romans 8.28, ring true. And again, like, these are truths where it's like, this may not be the first thing you result to if you're, if you're trying to, like, comfort someone, but that doesn't take away their truthfulness. Genesis 50.20, it's the story of Joseph being sold into slavery. Eventually, he's elevated to second in command by Pharaoh, and he has a re- reunion with his brothers who sold him into slavery, and he says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Romans 8.28 says, uh, and we know that in all things, God works for good for the, for, uh, of those who love him. God uses suffering for good. None of your suffering no matter what Satan tells you, no matter what this world tells you, no matter what you tell yourself, none of your suffering is meaningless. None of it is pointless. It all has a purpose, whether you see it or not. You see, God is not there to simply stop our suffering this side of heaven. But he is there. He is with us in the midst of all of it. Jesus is with you in the midst of all of it. Have you ever thought about the character of God in the sense of his emotions? God is the one who created emotions. He is the most emotional being ever. He feels the entire range of emotions more than you and I ever could even dream of feeling them. And he sees you in your suffering and he feels pain with you in the midst of it. He is with you, he sees you, and he feels it with you. You see, the story of Jesus also should not be interrupted. The story of Jesus does not end on the cross. He rose from the dead three days later. He defeated sin and death and is now sitting at the right hand of God so that, so that every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth, should bow, and so that all of those, everyone who puts their faith in Jesus, who completely trusts in him and him only for their salvation, will be saved. And that's exactly how God drew it up. Jesus suffered to the ultimate degree, but there was a good purpose in mind, which brings me to my main point. My main point is, if you are a believer in Christ, you will suffer. But your story is not yet over because of the hope that we have in Jesus. If you are a believer in Christ, you will suffer. But your story is not over yet because of the hope, the glorious hope that we have in Jesus, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior who might I add, if he did not undergo that suffering, would be neither Lord nor Savior. A quote from C.S. Lewis says, We were promised sufferings. They were part of the program. We were even told, Blessed are they that mourn, and I accept it. I've got nothing I hadn't bargained for. Of course, it is different when the thing happens to oneself, not to others and in reality, not in imagination. You see, Jesus has made a way for us to have hope. Jesus 
in the midst of hardship or happiness, in the midst of trial or triumph, in the midst of suffering or salvation, has made a way for you and for I to have hope. And that brings us to our reflection time. Uh, the, these, these questions won't be up for a long time, so I, uh, if you want to, to have them, I encourage you to take a picture of the slide. But the reflection time basically is one kind of two questions. And is what is your response? In the midst of suffering in life, are you running away from God or are you running towards him? Jesus is standing there with open arms, ready to hug, ready to embrace you, ready to remind you that he cares about you, that he loves you, and that he is with you. Do you believe this? And as you guys are pondering those questions, um, there's going to be a, a music video shown uh, by, by Shane and Shane featuring, uh, featuring John Piper. And I don't want anyone to, to, to stand or sing along. I just want you to sit and listen, to sit and reflect as you think about these questions. Thank you for listening to this message from the 2021 Summer Training Project hosted by Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the College Ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church. Please feel free to share this message with others, but please don't charge, edit, or alter the content in any way without the written permission of Campus Outreach Minneapolis.